Hey, thanks for checking out this week's message. We hope you're blessed by the word of God. For more information on River of Life, you can check out our website, rolmt.com, or download our app. Just search R-O-L-M-T in your app store. Thanks. That ended a little bit sooner than I thought it was going to. <laughs> well, good evening, River of Life. This is kind of a new perspective for me. So, uh, well, I'm Jonathan. If you don't know me, uh, I'm the Connections Pastor here at River of Life. Uh, I get the honor to preach to you tonight, so I am very excited. Um, so basically, you're stuck with me today, so you're welcome. Uh, well, I have a uh, sermon for you that the Lord gave me, and I've titled it Pigeon Flipper. Uh, it'll make sense. Just bear with me. Um, it's, it's kind of about a story of a time where I was in Afghanistan, because uh, I'm a veteran. I was in the army. Um, I spent a year in Afghanistan, which I'll get into. Um, but then I, I was reading my Bible one day, and I, I read the story, and it kind of correlated, and you'll hear a little bit more about that as we get into it. And so uh, I have a couple stories for you. So if you want to jump ahead, we're going to be in 2 Samuel uh, 11 tonight. So if you want to get ahead, you can uh, flip your Bible to that point. But real quick, uh, let's pray in uh, because I think that that's a good way to start this off. So dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to uh, get to preach the word. Uh, God, I just pray that this is your word. God, that none of this is is coming from me, but Lord, that it's you that's speaking. And God, that it's you that... um, that puts the power behind the words. And so, Lord, I just, I pray that those who you want to be impacted tonight are impacted tonight, and God, that your will is done in this place. Um, God, we just thank you for what you're doing, and thank you for what you're about to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, well, um, so I was in Afghanistan, and this isn't, this isn't the main story, but this is another story of when I was in Afghanistan. Uh, and we had uh, a mission one day where we had to go out to a police station, and we had to build them a gun range. And uh, this was, it was a good thing because this has them shooting at a target instead of just in the sky, and all bad things could happen from that. So... Uh, so we were there to build a gun range, and uh, several of us, like we had different jobs. Some of us had the job of like digging and like filling sandbags and, and stuff like that. People were hanging targets, just things like that. Well, I had the job of just pulling security. So it was myself and my platoon sergeant who was in charge of our platoon, which is roughly 30 people. Uh, and so we were, we were together, and we're, the, the way it was laid out was there's a police substation like here, a little bit of flat ground where we were building the gun range, and then there was this hill that came up. And so the hill, as, like we were on security, so I was thinking like the hill is the natural spot that makes us more vulnerable. So uh, that's kind of where my focus was. And I was watching this hill, and some rocks kind of start coming down. Like I could hear like them falling, and I was like, oh, somebody's coming around the corner. So I was like paying really close attention. Uh, and soon enough, some, some like goats, start coming around the corner, and I was like, okay, like, that's whatever, and I had known through my training that goats could be a way that the enemy would, like, strap a bomb to a goat or something and send it at you, like, what, there was, everything seemed like a threat, um, but then we see these two young shepherd boys come around the corner with these goats, and uh, training tells you 
like kind of the, what things to look for when people are a threat. And these kids were like shocked that we were there. So I was like, okay, you're probably fine. <laughs> like you didn't even know we were here, so I'm sure you're not here to attack us. Uh, and so one thing, the, almost the full reason why I'm telling you this story is um, I want you to understand that a big part of the mission in Afghanistan for us, just like the grunts, was to win the hearts and the minds of the people there. Um, because not everybody's an enemy. We want them to see us as, as allies and friends and there to just help. And so uh, that's the saying is to win hearts and minds. Uh, and then again, they're kids. These, these two kids, like they walk around the corner and they're kids. And so naturally, if you know me, uh, it's, it's completely in my nature, but I was like, I'm gonna make them laugh. I was like, I can't speak their language. I don't know anything about them. So I'm just gonna make them laugh. Uh, and so we call the interpreter up and stuff like that. And I asked one of them, I noticed they had this donkey. And so I was like, can I ride that donkey? And so I actually have a picture. Um, <laughs> that is me riding a donkey in Afghanistan. Uh, so just for fun. But uh, I also wanted you to see, like, this is kind of the terrain that we're working with. And so I was just like, I'm going to make these kids laugh. And it worked. But uh, I hop off the, the donkey and I'm like, we're just chatting with these kids. They're laughing now. You can tell like the walls have kind of come down a little bit. And one of these kids was like, was talking to the interpreter and told him to ask me, hey, do you want to buy this donkey? And I was like, I like kind of looked at my platoon sergeant. And he's like, absolutely not. <laughs> and they were, they wanted to sell it for 50 bucks, which to them is like, like half of a year's wage to them, basically. To me, I was like, I can afford this. <laughs> and I like look at my platoon sergeant and I was like, man, I'll, I'll ride it to my towers when I'm on tower guard. I'll feed it. I'll take care of it. And he was like, absolutely not. You're ridiculous. <laughs> uh, and for all I know, it could be here today. Okay. But that's all I'm saying. Um, so that's that story. Um, I just wanted you to kind of have an understanding that we're there to win the hearts and the minds. So uh, when we're engaging with people, like in my story and stuff like that, that's our goal. We're trying to be friendly and stuff like that. So uh, I did, I spent two, I was in Afghanistan from 2012 to 2013, um, and a, a typical morning when we would go out on missions was we'd wake up, we'd go out, and the first thing we'd do is get our vehicles ready. And so we would go out in like a convoy, which was like five trucks, basically. Uh, and each team would consist of a gunner, a driver, and a team leader. And I was a driver. So we would go out, I would turn on the vehicle and get everything ready, the radios ready, stuff like that while my gunner would get the weapon system ready and all that. And then uh, our team leader would be in a tent somewhere and he would be getting kind of the lowdown on what today's mission was gonna be like. And for us, uh, I was in the military police corps. Uh, and so what we would do is we would go out and we would train the, uh, the local police there uh, in like just normal policing operations. And we would look for IEDs, and, which are just bombs, um, which was a real fun job. <laughs> um, but so normally that's how it would be. And then the team leader would come out with like the platoon sergeant and everybody. And we would all just be standing outside in a circle where a lot of guys would be smoking or drinking coffee or whatever, just kind of waiting for the, new, like, the word on what we're going to do that day. Uh, so this day we get up and we go out where we do all that stuff. We get our, our vehicles ready and we're kind of waiting on our leadership to come out. Uh, and they do, and they say, hey, you guys, come on, like, we got to go uh, get a briefing in this tent, which was very unusual, it was, like, uncommon, and so we're like, okay, so we all go, 
we get in this tent and we all like take a seat and our company leadership come in and we're like, this is weird. Like this, this feels odd. Like this is different than it normally is. And so we're in there and they begin to tell us of this mission that we're going to do today. And it's a big deal. There's uh, what's called an HVT, which uh, is a high value target in the area. And they said, it's your job to go and get him. You're going to go get him and you're going to arrest him and bring him back in. And basically, if you don't, lives are on the line. Because this was a really, really bad guy who had just moved into the area. Um, And so it was our job to go out to his compound where they had intel that he was at and arrest him and bring him in. Um, So we're like, okay, this is a big mission. This is probably the biggest mission we had had up to this point. And so we kind of put our game faces on and we went out, we got in our vehicles, our trucks, and we drove out to about a quarter of a mile away from where this guy's compound was. And we stationed and like staged all of our vehicles uh, about a quarter of a mile away. And uh, why we did that was so that he couldn't hear us coming or he couldn't see us coming. The element of surprise was his best on your side. (laughs) And uh, so we would do that. We staged our vehicles there. And how that would work was the drivers and the team leaders would get out of the vehicle while the gunners stayed with the vehicle the whole time. So they would watch all of our stuff. And uh, so the, the team leaders were all meeting together to figure out, you know, like how things were going to work as we marched over to this compound and stuff like that. And uh, as a driver, I was just pulling more security because apparently that's just my only job. But uh, so I was pulling security and I was just kind of like scanning, like looking around and I see this guy and he's like this older uh, gentleman and he had like this like scraggly beard. I remember he was like old and pretty like thin and stuff. And he was kind of just like leaning against this wall. And I remember there were like these crates next to him and uh, they were almost like cages kind of. And he had doors that he would open. And as he would open the door, a pigeon would fly out. And it would go up above his head, like, like not super high, but like maybe about the height of like a telephone pole. And it would just hover there. And then he'd blow a whistle and the pigeon would flip. And I was like, what is happening? I was like, does anybody see this right now? I was like, what is going on? I thought that maybe I'd stumbled into like the coolest thing ever, like some third world magic trick or like something like that, which uh, brings me to my first point tonight. Don't take everything at face value. So in 2 Samuel 11.1, 1, we read, In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. So right away here, we see something kind of crazy. We see that King David isn't where he's supposed to be, right? He's, he is the guy who is known for showing up when others wouldn't except now he's not where he's supposed to be. And I just wanted to take a quick note, like that's too important to just pass up, that when you're not where you're supposed to be, it gets really dangerous um, for you, but for others as well, as we'll see. Uh, So there's a quote out of a commentary by John Owen, and it says, many conquerors have been ruined by their carelessness after a great victory, and many have been spiritually wounded after great successes against the enemy. So I think what John Owen is talking about here is that we as Christians, we need to understand and and just realize that our work is never done. Like we're here for a purpose and we can't let down our guard uh, spiritually ever. Uh, I mean, uh, David is a guy who's won battle after battle after battle since he was a kid. And now while Israel's army was out fighting, he's hanging out at home. 
he's taking a nap and suddenly the AC unit goes out and he's walking out on his, on his uh, roof and he's uh, just trying to get some of the cooler air when he should have been out leading a battle. Uh, so coming back in at verse two, it says, late one afternoon, after his midday rest, napping, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. So now I would be willing to bet that as David is like peeping on Bathsheba, he's probably thinking, this is pretty cool. <laughs> like he's probably thinking, this is pretty great. Like I, I think I like this, this is probably what David was thinking. And whether he realized it at the moment, King David was making a choice. He could have made a choice to go get a messenger or a servant and be like, hey, I don't know who this is, but you got to go tell her, man, she's visible. Like, this isn't a good place to be. Like, you should not be bathing here. But instead of maintaining his righteousness, David made the choice that the flesh said was good. So basically, and you'll kind of piece this together as we go. Basically, King David was seeing pigeons flipping in the air and thinking, that's pretty cool. <laughs> so... 2 Samuel eleven three through 4 says, He sent someone to find out who she was. And he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. And when she came to the palace, he slept with her. She had just completed the purification rites after having her menstrual period. Then she returned home. So I think to really understand the depths of this mistake that King David was making, it's important that we realize a few things about Bathsheba. She was minding her own business, and she was, uh, the Bible tells us she was performing the purification rites, and that means she was following religious practice, even when nobody was looking, or, apparently, or supposedly nobody was looking, which tells me that Bathsheba is probably an honorable woman, right? Further evidence of Bathsheba's honor is the fact that she was married to one of the mighty men in David's army famous for their courage and for their honor, as well as being the daughter of Eliam, who's another one of David's mighty men. So it's a safe bet that Bathsheba was an honorable woman. So David's mighty men, if you don't know, there are 33 guys who were legitimate heroes to the nation of Israel. And I was thinking about this, uh, about 33 men who are, who are heroes, like they're probably household names, you know, and I was thinking like, what do we have that I could compare this to? And so uh, for the NFL fans in here, there are 32 starting quarterbacks in the National Football League. So I was thinking about this, and uh, David's mighty men to Israel was probably way more significant. Like, it, it meant more. Like, they're not just playing a game. They're winning wars. They're fighting battles. But I was thinking in the context of this, this feels like, it, like, it, like for us, it's like if Bathsheba's dad was Tom Brady. Or like, or like if, oh, okay. Or Peyton Manning, Peyton Manning, no, just kidding. Or, but, and then her husband's like Trevor Lawrence or like something like that, where if you go to the mall and you're like, you just pick, you know, one out of 10 guys and you're like, who's the Cowboys starting quarterback? They could probably tell you. And so that's kind of what I feel like these mighty men could have been to Israel. And so basically David, what I want you to understand is that David knew who these men were. When he hears their name, he knows exactly who they're talking about. And he knew what he meant to them, and he should have known what, what they meant to him. I think that Bathsheba gets a bad rap because often or frequently she's viewed as like a seductress. But I think that that's not the case. Most likely what we see is a girl that based on uh, the fact that she doesn't have kids but she's not barren, 
tells us that she's probably in her, in her young 20s or maybe in her teenage years. But now she's put in a position where she can't refuse a king. David messed up big time. And to be fair, all of us do. We all mess up. Uh, David saw something that in, the, in his eyes or to his flesh and in accordance with the desires of his flesh was a good thing. And he wanted it. When I was in Afghanistan, I thought, when I was looking at the pigeons, I thought this was a really good thing. I thought this was a really cool thing. As, as I was watching the guy flip his pigeons, my only thought was how cool this is. Like finally, like in a country as miserable as Afghanistan is, and let me tell you, it's pretty brutal. Um, finally, here's a little ray of sunshine. Here's something that's cool and like fun to look at. Well, both David and I were being fooled by the thing that the world was waving in our faces. So uh, in the army, uh, to, you know, for a tool that's used for like, concealment or distraction is a smoke grenade. And in the army, they, when they throw one, they call that popping smoke. So I think that what's happening here is that uh, the enemy was throwing, or popping smoke, I guess, or throwing a smoke grenade um, as a tool for, distract, for distracting King David. He was using temptation to distract him. When smoke gets popped, you can bet that something behind the scenes is happening. The enemy wants you looking over here when he's doing something over here. So when it's in these moments where we need to slow down, we need to see the situation for what it really is and stop taking things at face value. So my second point today is good things are not always God things. So, okay, so I'm going back to Pigeon Flipper story. But now I'm skipping a couple of years ahead, okay? So uh, I'll come back, I'll finish that story. But now this is, I'm home from Afghanistan um, and I'm serving as a youth pastor in Plains at the church on the move there. And I remember it was a Wednesday and we had youth group on Wednesdays and I, I would preach on Wednesday nights. And it was, like, it was like the middle of the afternoon on a Wednesday and I had nothing for, for youth group. I was like, I could not get inspiration and I had like, like nothing coming to me for, uh, to write about or anything like that. And suddenly I felt uh, this memory come back to me of the pigeon flipper. And I was like, oh, that's weird. And I was thinking like, maybe I'll, maybe I'll Google that. Maybe I'll get inspiration or maybe I'll find out that, you know, I can quit my job and go to Vegas and like start my new career as a pigeon flipper, you know, whatever. <laughs> and so, um, so I Google it and here's what I found. When I Googled the term pigeon flipper, uh, this is the definition. A form of bird calling that warns a gang that the police are in the area, causes the pigeons to flock in the air, which is visible to many around. This was a tactic that the enemy was using. It was a trick. We were being duped. And uh, this is something that's currently being used against the United States military, against all militaries and police forces in America and across the world. This is a common thing. And I was like, what is happening? Like, unfortunately, I didn't realize until years later that we were being tricked. I had no idea. I didn't think anything of that. But what happened was the, the pigeons were flipping in the air and our enemy knew our location and he knew what was happening and he was escaping. Just as I was blinded by the pigeons, David was blinded by temptation. And now David is presented with another choice. Second Samuel uh, eleven five says, later when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I am pregnant. So David has made a terrible mistake and now he's being faced with the consequences of his actions. He has, he has a couple of choices that he could make here now moving forward. He could make the decision to 
own up to this mistake, right? He can, he can go about the process of making things right and, uh, and he could accept the consequences of this choice that he's made. Or he could continue spinning this web of lies and deceit uh, and just continue spinning this web of, of just bad stuff. And even though King David was the king of a country and had the full resources of his country behind him, he chose to panic. He made a series of bad choices, uh, and so his next choice was the, to then try and cover up his mistake. So 2 Samuel eleven six through 9 says, Then David sent word to Joab, Send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent him to David. When Uriah arrived, David asked him how Joab and the army were getting along and how the war was progressing. Then he told Uriah, Go on home and relax. David even sent a gift to Uriah after he had left the palace. But Uriah didn't go home. He slept that night at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. So as I read this, I'm just thinking, what are the thoughts that Uriah is having during this exchange? I mean, he's one of King David's mighty men, right? So he's a force on the battlefield. And he's out there, he's doing his thing. Uh, He's fighting and even winning a battle when he gets a messenger that comes to him and says, hey man, uh, Joab, he needs to see you. And he's like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll go talk to Joab. Maybe he has some orders, whatever. Goes, talks to Joab and he gets there and he's like, hey man, uh, King David, he wants to see you. And he's like, all the way back in Jerusalem? And so he's like, okay, whatever. Like, okay, so I'll go. So he goes back and he doesn't, he doesn't go home first. He doesn't stop at the gas station. Like he goes straight to the palace. He goes directly to King David. And like knowing, like probably the character of Uriah is probably like, I get to go see my friend. Like I get to go see my friend. I get to, like, how can I serve you, King David? Like that's the level of dedication that these guys had to their king. And uh, so he's probably pretty excited. Like, what can I do for you, King David? And he gets in there and King David's like, hey, how's it going? And Uriah's like, pretty good. Like pretty good, yeah. And uh, he's like, okay, cool. Uh, How's Joab? And your eyes like, oh, he's good, good, good. And King David's like, well, how's 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 the battle? How's the battle going? Pretty good. And your eyes like, yeah, it's going good. Like waiting for the point of it all. Like like waiting for the order, waiting for the command, waiting for something. And King David's just like, oh, cool, 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 cool. And so then your eyes like. Okay, like waiting for the point. And I just keep thinking like, what is Uriah's thoughts in, during this exchange? Like, how does this not look so guilty of King David? Like, here's some gifts. Why don't you go home? Like, it's just so odd to me. So he says then that uh, hang out for, for a day or two and then I'll send you back to the army. So we pick back up in 2 Samuel eleven ten through 13. It says, when David heard that Uriah had not gone home, he summoned him and asked, what's the matter? Why didn't you go home last night after being away for so long? Uriah replied, The ark and the armies of Israel and Judah are living in tents, and Joab and my master's men are camping in the open fields. How could I go home to wine and dine and sleep with my wife? I swear that I would never do such a thing. We'll stay here today, David told him, and tomorrow you may return to the army. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem that day and the next Then David invited him to dinner and got him drunk. But even then, he couldn't get Uriah to go home to his wife. Again, he slept at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. 
So now what we see is, is where David should have had great joy and pride and uh, excitement as a king to have a soldier that's so loyal and so dedicated as Uriah was that instead of that, he felt fear and he felt resentment towards, towards Uriah. Because Uriah was such a good guy, David needed him out of the way. He needed him gone. So where was David though? Like where was David the one after God's own heart? You know, where was David the giant slayer or the merciful servant of Saul? And like, where was the friend of Jonathan in this moment? Like, I think he was being buried under a mountain of his own lies and fear. David here, he's falling for a classic trap of the enemy and the enemy's gotten really good at it. It's where the enemy gets you to dig a hole and then bury yourself in it. That's what's happening here. But the illusion of this trap is that while it might be painful and it might come at great personal cost to yourself, the truth will set you free. Amen. Amen? Because we are Christians living in the world after Jesus bought our sin, we get full and unlimited access to Jesus. And then depending on where you're at on earth, you can get full and unlimited access to his word, to the word of God. David didn't get that same cheat code that we have. We get to watch through the word, Jesus addressed the believers around him, where he specifically tells them and us in John 8, 32, where he says, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. David was spending so much time trying to cover his tracks and cover up the sin that he was making that he no longer cared who was getting in harm's way, as long as it wasn't him. That was the thing. So 2 Samuel eleven fourteen through 17. <clears throat> so the next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and gave it to Uriah to deliver. The letter instructed Joab, station Uriah on the front lines where the battle is fiercest, then pull back so that he will be killed. So Joab assigned Uriah to a spot close to the city wall where he knew the enemy's strongest men were fighting. And when the enemy soldiers came out of the city to fight, Uriah the Hittite was killed along with several other Israelite soldiers. Uriah was killed for the sins of his king. That's in complete contrast of what Jesus does, right? And not only now is Uriah killed, but other innocent lives are lost to cover up a sin. The real enemy, who is the devil, make no mistake, he had David right where he wanted him. And because of that, David, I'm sure, now feels fear, shame, regret, disgust, and he's probably still pretty tempted to continue covering up this sin. This isn't some movie or some novel, which it's, it would have a killer plot if it was, but this is the real story of a man who, in deceiving, was really the one being deceived. And that's kind of depressing, and what's even more depressing is how much I can relate to that, right? And can't we all? Like if we, I think we, it's safe to say that most of us have some decisions that we've made in the past or some things that we, could, we wish we could go back to and take it back. Or we wish that we could just, if I could just get that one moment back, that one decision back, my whole life would be different, right? Well, thankfully... We have free and unlimited access to the grace that we need to, to, to handle this situation. Even David, the murderer of Uriah, was shown grace. 2 Samuel 12, 13 through 18 says, Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, Yes, but the Lord has forgiven you, and you won't die for this sin. 
Nevertheless, because you have shown utter contempt for the word of the Lord by doing this, your child will die. After Nathan returned to his home, the Lord sent a deadly illness to the child of David and Uriah's wife. David begged God to spare the child. He went without food and lay on the, all night on the bare ground. <clears throat> the elders of his household pleaded with him to get up and eat with them, but he refused. Then on the seventh day, the child died. David's advisors were afraid to tell him. He wouldn't listen to reason while the child was ill, they said. What drastic thing will he do when we tell him that the child is dead? Even with grace, there are still consequences for our actions and for the choices that we make. This is what David is experiencing. David confessed his sin to Nathan, and God's grace was there to cover David. Because it's grace that covers us, but it's redemption that cleanses us. Grace is the unmerited favor of God, where redemption is the action of being saved. Grace spared David's life from a decision that honestly should have earned him the death penalty. Like by all cultural rights, go read Deuteronomy. This was a death sentence for King David. So he has grace, right? But where do we find the redemption? Well, 2 Samuel 12, 24 says, Then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and slept with her. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and David named him Solomon. The Lord loved the child and sent word through Nathan the prophet that they should name him Jedidiah, which means beloved of the Lord, as the Lord had commanded. So there's something really important to note here in these scriptures. Just a second ago, uh, I read a scripture that said that the scripture called Bathsheba Uriah's wife. Right, And I think that this is God's way of telling David, like, no, 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 you made a mistake. And you haven't, you haven't repented, you haven't done anything about, like, this is Uriah's wife, okay? And David, he goes to Nathan, he confesses, he truly repents, and he truly seeks redemption from God. And we see that God gave that to David, simply in calling Bathsheba then David's wife. And I think that's important to take note of. Finally, here is where we begin to see King David again. So that leads me to my third point. God can turn the good things of the flesh into God things. Amen. So, okay, back to Pigeon Flipper. I know you've all been waiting very patiently. Thank you. <laughs> well, okay, so I see the guy. He slipped his pigeons, all, the, all these things, but now it's game time. Okay, now the war paint comes on. Here's where I start wondering, you know, whether it's going to be Channing Tatum or Chris Pratt who plays me in the movie uh, as we go forward with this mission. And so we go, we, we, we make the trek to this guy's compound, and we think we have the element of surprise on our side, all these things. We go, it's like how you would see, we kick down the door. We go, we clear every single room in this guy's compound. Um, and nothing. There, was, there wasn't a soul there. And so now we're like, well, we failed. Like our mission was, should be deemed a, a failure because of this. And uh, we were feeling pretty low, honestly. This was like the lowest point of our, our deployment because, uh, like I told you before, if this guy gets away, lives are, are being ended because this guy was gone. And so we, we get back to our vehicles, we go, uh, we make the trek back to our base, and uh, we kind of, our heads are hung low, and we're walking to the, the command tent 
where we need to tell them like kind of what happened. Like they, they know, they've heard over the radio, radios, you know, that the mission was a failure, all these things. But now we kind of got to go own, own up to that in front of our commanders. And so we go and um, they come out of the tent before we get there and they have a little bit of a pep in their step. And I was like, well, you tell us your news first <laughs> because ours isn't so good. And it looks like you have something good to say. Um, and so something to know that I didn't know at the time was, uh, I, well, I knew that there was, this thing existed, but there was this big blimp that was above our base. And I knew it was there, but what my understanding of it was that its purpose was to scan the base or to scan the walls of our base to make sure that nobody was coming up and planting a bomb at the base of one of our walls and blowing a hole in the wall and coming in. And so that was my understanding of it. But this machine was, uh, the camera on the bottom of this blimp was like they would bring in uh, civilian contractors to operate it, to maintain it, all these things. So I didn't really know very much about it, but they began to tell us that, that this system, which is called PTIDS, which stands for Persistent Threat Detection System, has this camera on the bottom that's insane. Like they, were, they, they could see the numbers on a license plate miles away. And what I didn't know was that these cameras were on this guy's compound. They were watching before we had even gotten there. And they watched him flee. They watched him get into a car, go to a safe house, get in another car, go to another safe house where United States forces were able to get him. And they went, they arrested him. Um, He was off the streets. It was a huge deal. And the Petids was our redemption, right? We thought that all had been lost here. We thought that our failure meant lives were being spent. But when we thought something was a failure, there was somebody who was watching and they watched from start to end. They saw all of the details that I could have never known. Our mission that we thought was a failure turned out to be even more successful than ever. We got a bunch of vehicles, we got a bunch of safe houses and more people than we would have gotten if we would have just got our guy. It was way more successful. So just as this blimp, the P-Tids watched my story unfold, God's been watching David's story unfold this whole time. Through this terrible event and moment in history, mankind has gotten the greatest gift it, it will ever or has ever gotten. King David, Bathsheba, and the baby Solomon are all listed in the genealogy of Jesus. But even more personally, for David and Bathsheba, God then named their child Jedidiah, beloved by God. What a sign of redemption for them as parents, right? God not only offered them grace, he then performed the action of redemption by naming Solomon Jedidiah and confirming to them that their baby is anointed and would be cared for by God. To any set of parents, uh, but in particular, a, a, a set of parents who have maybe lost a child, what an insane amount of redemption this would look like. God took this evil thing that the enemy wants you to believe is good and he turned it into a God thing. God took the plan of the enemy and he countered it, resulting in the victory that we can all claim as believers in Christ. And I want you to know that that same God is offering that same redemption to you today. I really want you to hear this today because even the worst mistakes can be undone by the truth. And that even though consequences for our actions must take place, God's always got your best interests at heart. So not all good things are God things, but if he chooses to do so, 
God can make anything a God thing. So now I'm gonna ask you if you would close your eyes and bow your heads. Um, if, if you would say that you, you're in here, you're a believer, you've accepted Christ, you know you're a Christian, but you're feeling like maybe you're not where you should be right now. You're in the wrong place. And you know that you're in a position that requires grace. You need redemption. Well, I want you to know it's yours. So I, I wanna invite you, take this next few minutes, bring it to God. Don't allow sin to cause separation between you and your savior. Maybe if, if you're in here and you're totally new to all this and you're thinking grace, redemption, like those sound cool. Like based on this story today, like that sounds like something that I could really use. Then I want you to know you're called to this place uh, for a reason. There is room at this table, but what we want is we want to know about it. We want to celebrate with you if you're making this choice. So if you would, if you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior today, would you just raise up a hand? Because this is the best choice you will ever make. Nothing weird is going to happen if you do, but it's something to be bold about. So I'm, I'm not going to lead a prayer that you follow word for word or anything like that, but I want to encourage you, whether you raise your hand or not, talk to God. Simply pray to him that you recognize him as the one who can save you from the sin that the flesh offers and then believe it. He wants you to get to know him today. The rest is gonna follow. Lord, I want, thank you for every person in this room today. God, I, just, I pray that as the enemy is, just pops smoke and God just wants to conceal or distract that Lord, you give them uh, everything they need to see what's really happening behind the scenes. Lord, I just pray that your will is being done in everybody's life. And God, I just pray for guidance for each and every one of us, Lord, that, um, <clears throat> that as we seek your redemption, Lord, we, we're also seeking your will for our lives. And God, that we're then following that, that guidance. So Lord, I just thank you um, for every person in this room. And God, we know your word does not uh, return void. And so God, I just, I thank you for that. I thank you for the seeds that have been planted today. And God, we just leave all of it to you. And Lord, we trust you with it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, I wanna say, if you've made, if you made the choice to accept Jesus, then again, that's something to be celebrated. We want to celebrate that with you. Um, and I would love for you to come up uh, to, with the prayer teams will be up here. You can receive prayer. Um, and if you didn't make that choice today and you're already a believer, you've accepted Christ, you're welcome to come up and receive prayer too. Um, but I just, I wanna say, if you made that choice today, I cannot understate how big of a deal this is. So tell the prayer team when you're up here for prayer. Tell some, find somebody on staff. Let us know because we want to celebrate with you. But again, everybody is welcome to come get prayer. Um, so yeah, just God is just so good. So now uh, would you stand with us as we worship some more? Hey, thanks for listening. River of Life is a ministry in East Missoula, Montana. We exist for one purpose, to make Jesus famous by showing his love to the lost, broken, and hurting. For more information, you can check us out online at rolmt.com. If you've made a decision to follow Jesus today, we'd love to talk to you about what comes next. Shoot us an email at nextstep at rolmt.com. Thanks.